I want to welcome all of you to our podcast, From My Kitchen Table, which is both inspired and created by our successful and award-winning Women Create magazines. For those of you who do not know me, I am Jo Packham, a small-town homegrown girl who had no big dreams of being the creator and editor-in-chief of your magazines, Where and What Women Create, among which we have profiled over 745 women from around the world in over 265 books and magazines. I am so thankful that you are here joining us today. Our podcast, which is for and all about you, will be coming to you weekly. So please listen on your platform of choice. The guests we have are visionaries who consist of artists, designers, foodies, and entrepreneurs each taking us through the ups and the downs of living a creative life. I will be introducing you to those in our industry, some well-known and some you have never met. These women have crafted amazing works of imagination, transformed cooking and baking into an art form, built successful businesses, inspired entire communities, and each has a story to tell of perseverance and triumph that will help each of us on our own personal journey. So welcome to From My Kitchen Table. This is the place to come together, to learn, and to share the passion, the process, the inspiration, the wisdom, and the journeys of living a creative life. I would like to welcome all of you to From My Kitchen Table today. It seems like we record in bunches. We record quite a few and then we don't record for a while. And we haven't been recording for a while. So this is a very special day for me. I have somebody here that is my guest who I met briefly a long time ago at a CHA show. And um, we have, neither one of us has ever forgotten it. I considered a compliment. She wasn't quite so sure. But her name is Kathy Holden. And it is such an honor for me to have Kathy on the show. And I hope she'll come back and tell you more about the different aspects of everything she does about creating and her studio. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Kathy is a licensed designer working in the quilt and craft industries. She designs fabric collections and gift products for Moda Fabrics, paper craft products for Spellbinders Paper Arts, and craft stencils for iStencils.com. Kathy wrote a popular craft blog for many years, authored a craft book with Chronicle Books, was a contributing editor for Country Living Magazine and Molly Makes US. She and her husband, Jeff, have three adult children and live in Northern California countryside in the town of Petaluma. Kathy works and creates from her large eclectic mercantile style studio next to their home. Kathy, welcome to From My Kitchen Table. What Thank an you. honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. It's uh, sometimes when I invite guests, I think, why didn't I invite them, you know, like six months ago or something? Because working on your feature was such a great experience. So we have a million things to talk about. So I'm going to let you start where you want to start. And then I'll interject with questions and comments and we'll just have a great hour. Well, thank you. Well, um, gosh, it's such an honor to be a part of your magazine, just a part of your whole um empire, Joe. Yeah. So, uh, I love to create I, my, it's, that's my thing. And I've been doing it since I was very young. I started as a graphic designer, um, in high school, actually, I was, uh, recommended that I go to a trade school. So my sophomore and junior year, I wasn't really college material apparently. And I think the, I think the uh, school counselor knew that. So she recommended this trade school that I went to half a day in high school and it was commercial art. And gosh, I learned so much and I really excelled in that program um, to the point that I was always finished early, um, would always go over to the print shop and work in the print shop and print off my pom-pom girl flyers and things. So <laughs> I learned a little bit about the industry and the printing and um, part of the program with the trade school is uh, they would try to get employers to hire these kids right out of high school, um, like two at least two weeks before they graduate, just to dip their toe in the industry. And so I was hired with an ad agency and um, in the art department, it was a, I would say medium sized ad agency. And uh, I was there for four years and uh, left as a senior art director. So I was still very young. I was only 21 and moved on to a much larger agency that had, you know, 
really big food accounts and such. And I was there about six months and um, they had a big, you know, Black Monday coming and a third of the company was getting laid off because we lost, I think it was Tyson Food Service or some big account. So, um, you know, I I think I had like $500 in severance pay and this is in Springfield, Missouri. And um, I'm like, well, I got to go big. So I rented a, sold any, what little I had and rented a U-Haul. And I had a friend that lived in Sonoma, California. So um, I U-Hauled it out here and started freelancing, ultimately starting my own business and had a design firm in Santa Rosa, California. uh, That was, I would say quite successful. I was probably one of the top designers in the area and it was a great, great life. And Jeff and I, were um, newlyweds and we decided to start a family. And when we did, um, I chose to become a stay-at-home mom, which was a huge, made a huge impact on us in many ways, you know, obviously positive, but it was a really tough times. So uh, raising kids, you know, you, uh, you focus on that and you can only do so many kid crafts but I really want to get back into design work. So I try to think of what could I do from home that I, you know, what do I do best? What do I enjoy doing? And I went back to graphic designing, uh, primarily just logo work. So I was, uh, my, I was really strong in the logo and branding uh, aspect of graphic design. And I did that for several years. And um, one of the ways I got good work for that, if there's any graphic designers listening, uh, looking for work, this, this was, you know, 10 or more years ago, but it's probably still very relevant today. I had created, um, you know, back then it was, this is like 2007, maybe, um, websites. I didn't know how to do a website. So it was just a series of JPEGs that showed my portfolio of logo work. And then there was a page of, this is what I charge. This is my hourly rate. This is, you know, the minimum, this is the the process. And I spelled it all out. So if anybody wanted to know anything, they got a link and it was all there. And if they wanted to get back and work with me, if I was too cheap, you know, I wasn't, you know, up to their speed, they'd move on. If I was too expensive, they'd move on. But I didn't have to have these conversations because what I did with the link was I would go on Craigslist all over the world. I, that's the great thing about Craigslist is you can go, oh, I think I'll go to, you know, Manhattan Craigslist. And I would search for who's looking for logo work and I would find only logo work I wanted to do. And it was then I started to say, I'm only going to look for things I actually want to do. I'm not waiting for people to come to me with what they have. And I would just send a quick little email, you know, like, this is who I am real quick. Here's my website. Please let me know if you're interested in working together. And I got some good work that way. Um, And then from there, it would just be a lot of um, word of mouth would get me a lot of work. When I um, was doing this graphic design, another really interesting thing happened. And that was Etsy. I discovered Etsy when it was uh, in the very beginning stages my sister turned me on to the forum section. And back in the first early days, they had, you know, you could get on there and you could learn, uh, everybody would be discussing, you know, adhesives or jewelry findings or all these different things you'd want to learn about or just discuss. Um, But then they had the forum uh, section that was just like, et cetera. And it was, you know, snarky and funny. And oh my gosh, I found my people. Like I had never corresponded with other people that were like me. It was it was amazing. You know, this was still kind of early. We were all just kind of getting into the internet. Social media wasn't quite a thing yet. And um, I thought, guy, I, these are really crafty people. And it's not the kind of crafts that I would just do with my kids. These are like crafts persons that are making really amazing things. And I'm like, I, I do kind of stuff like this, but I didn't, you know, I'm such a graphic designer. I'd never really thought of it as being, being crafty as sharing that, but I was really inspired to start a blog. One of the things I learned in my career with ad agencies is a a bit of PR um, just by observations. And I always knew that you are your best PR agent. So as I started this blog, I really would go to Etsy and I would talk about what I posted. I mean, I would just put it out there as much as I could. And I sort of created this following. It wasn't by accident. I really worked hard for that. Um, So I had this blog for many years uh, sharing craft projects, a lot of digital downloads of graphics either that I created or that I scanned that were vintage uh, ephemera type things. Um, And that got me a lot of gigs. So 
though I could have monetized um, this very popular craft blog, wasn't really good. I was just wasn't good at that business end of things. Um, I was just happy putting out my creative stuff. And I would hear people say a lot, why aren't you selling this stuff? You should be not giving this away for free. And I just always thought, oh, I've got a master plan. I don't really know what it is, but I, yeah, I've got a master plan, um, which is, you know, fast forward to today, it's all kind of worked out, but the blog really kind of got me a lot of um, exciting gigs like Country Living Magazine. One of the editors found me to do a project they had seen that was on Pinterest. Uh, if you can believe this, it was a shrinky dink ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I and, love that. <laughs> and they were like, we want to do something like this for, you know, one of our projects in the magazine. And I said, well, can we, so I, you know, I, I'd rather, you have to remember, you can say what you'd rather do, right? I'd say, well, can we do something like maybe like a charm bracelet? So I did this charm bracelet with little bits of ephemera that were literally printed shrinky dink pieces. Um, it's adorable. And then they asked me to do another project and another. So then I was asked, will you just, can we just call you a contributing editor? So, you know, I was in the masthead of the magazine for, I was in there about four years. Oh, it was so much you. fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, so you know, just putting yourself out there, I think, um, knowing that you're responsible, it, it's up to you not just to be found, but pushed to be seen. Um, that was, that was something I did a lot. Well, and it's something that um, is so admirable, because I would refer to you as fearless, because so many people are afraid to do that, right? They think, oh, they don't like me, they don't like my work, I don't want the rejection, it's better just to be <laughs> quiet. And it's nice to hear you say, you just have to do it over and over and over again. Yeah, and you know, doing all that work for other people in like logo design ad agencies and stuff, it was always for a client. When I started the blog, I started just doing things that I liked. It was my work, my art, my designs, um, things that I liked. And people liked it. And I, I had to see that, that okay, people actually like what I do and, and accept that. And it, it wasn't enough to just be artistic um, or a good designer, but they like the kind of stuff that I do or that I can bring to the table. Um, so that really helped me a lot with my confidence um, as far as putting it out there. Was your blog mostly visual or was it a lot of how-to? Was it, um, because now I think you're so visual in everything you do. I wonder if in the early days that was, you're consistent with the way you started. Um, I think it was a lot. It was a lot of how-to, but tons of visuals. I always knew in blogging that nobody really wants to read them. They just want to see <laughs> go through the pictures. And now we've become so accustomed to just swipe, swipe, swipe. And I think one of the reasons I don't, I don't blog anymore is because today's social media uh, serves that purpose for me. I don't. I can just write out some simple steps. You can do a short little video. Um, but I would. I would watch someone's craft video of how to do something in like 30 seconds, what took me a week worth of work to do for a blog post. And like, darn it, I, I'm exhausting myself over here, you know? So <laughs> I, yeah, I'd rather just, I'd rather just Instagram's, you know, really my speed. Now I don't think I've blogged in two years. So um, it, the blog was called just something I made. And it was in the early days of blogging where you had to actually explain to people what a blog was right. um, today. I, I don't know that they're not, it's not that they're not popular. I just, it's just not where I put my energy anymore. Not very many people do. I've actually, I was going on a treasure hunt the other night for um, really simple craft ideas. And I started um, Googling people's blogs. And when I started reading them, I started looking at the posts and they were posted in uh, 2009, 2012. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't find one that was less than eight years oh. old. So I don't think anyone does that anymore. And I really, I think somebody once I heard overheard, I can't remember where I heard this, but somebody goes, who reads blogs anymore? And I was like, really into blogging. And I'm like, is that true? You know, I really, I, I had to really think, do people not want to read blogs? So it made me create a lot more pictures than words whenever I did a post. And, you know, for me, like that's what Instagram is. It's really just sharing um, visual stimulation. And if you want to know more, read the caption. So, yeah. Great. So what happened after country living? Then what, then what was next? So, um, you know, there comes a time where you're like, I, I really want, well, I think everybody's like, I want to have a book. <laughs> so I, um, I had this, I was working with another 
uh, professional crafter and we were creating prototypes. And I want to say the company's name was um, making memories or something like that. And they had this whole program <clears throat> in Michael's that was around rosette ribbons where you could, they were modular. So you could pick out the, the floral, the, you know, the fluffy background and go over here and pick out all the little ribbons that go on it. And you could like construct your own um, rosette. So we were making all these different rosette designs with different papers and ribbons and stuff and spent months doing that. Well, I became obsessed and I had all these other ideas for rosettes that um, had nothing to do with prototyping for, you know, mass market. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do a book on rosettes. I thought <laughs> that would, that's a, such a great book. So um, before I contacted anybody to publish this book, I actually created the book myself. I didn't write the content, but I, I mocked it up with pictures and, and pictures of stuff that I had done or the ideas that I had, little sketches and stuff. And it was ready. And um, it turned out that then soon after I was at a small conference in San Francisco, it was a really cool conference. It was kind of the who's who at the time. And I wish I could remember what it, it was CCC. That's all I remembered. Um, and I sat in on a panel discussion of uh, book editors and um one of them was from Chronicle Books and I don't know a lot about publishers, but I'm like, well, everybody knows who Chronicle Books is. I'm, I'm going to, you know, talk to that gal after the thing. So I approached her right after. I mean, I zoomed right up there and I said, I have an idea for a book. I have it on my iPad. Are you going to be here tomorrow? Can I bring it for you to see? And she's like, oh, okay. Right? right. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, I had to be prepared. So I you know, drove all the way home. Uh, you know, that was like an hour and a half drove home, um, pulled together a box of rosettes in a, you know, and this thing on my iPad, this presentation and took it back the next day and she loved it. And she went back and I had a contract. Um, and you know, that it, it never turned out to be the book I wanted in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what I didn't know at the time was, you know, there are different um, public publishing houses for different, uh, genres or different things. Chronicle books is really a, really, I think more of a gift book. Uh, you know, they're going to go into, um, gift shops and obviously the bookstores and stuff, but they're not really directed to the craftspeople or, you know, that audience. So what happened was my concept, they, they took the whole concept and put it into a, um, they already had a series of what they called kits and they're like folios with um, papers and things you could tear out. And then the book got condensed down to like a booklet. Right. So um, even though it's big on the shelf, when you open it up, it's really just uh, decorative papers that I designed. And then this little booklet. So, it, you know, when you go and you look at the uh, reviews, people are like, that's usually the typical review. I thought this was going to be a book because it looks like a book in the picture and it's a pamphlet, but so, but, you know, I did have the experience of creating the projects, you know, editing, 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 photo you know, they did the photography, but, um, you know, figuring out the metrics and it's a ton of work. It's, oh, a, ton it's of work. a ton of work. And Chronicle was the, was the goal. Everybody wanted to design a book for Chronicle. I mean, you know, it, because I was into publishing for years and years, and even I, owning my own publishing company, always wanted to design a book for Chronicle because they were so cutting edge and, you know, mm -hmm. they were just everywhere. So to get your first book there is quite a good for you, girl. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. That being said, if I had been published by more of a, you know, craft publisher, um, right. I think the book would have been more what I wanted. It would have sold um, a lot better, but it's a super feather in my cap. So I'm very proud to say I worked with Chronicle Books. They are fantastic to work with. So nothing negative about working with Chronicle Books. It's just, they know their audience. They know what they can sell. And they took my idea and, and, you know, manipulated it into this other sort of thing. So um I wasn't in any big hurry to try to do another book right away. I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> so on to the next thing. Okay. What was the next thing? I had been at this um, little weekend retreat at uh, 
Brenda Walton's house and she had a group of really fantastic creative women come and spend the weekend and we did some shopping and we each brought a craft project. It was so much fun. And um, one of the gals that I connected with was Debbie Adams and she was working with Spellbinders. So I was like, we talked a lot about uh, what she did and, and the industry and stuff. And uh, of course, Brenda was, and her husband are really gracious about sharing a lot of their information about licensing and stuff. So we all kind of left that weekend uh, and I had this idea that I'm definitely going to get in touch with Spellbinders. So it was many years, you know, several years ago, and um, we ended up doing a contract, having uh, this huge program we were putting together, a um, lot of neat pieces, a lot of neat, cool things we were going to do. And this was at the time where it, it was a lot of big box uh, store products that they were working with. Um, and we had done, I had done a lot of work for that. And then there came a point where their business had taken on a particular Oh, I, how would I put this um, project that that really took a lot of their time away from what we were doing, um, and it and and I was just getting kind of backburnered that I decided you know what I'm going to step away from this and we um, very friendly you know parting of the ways and um, I decided I was going to move on to something else because I didn't like the waiting game you know when you start doing this type of work where you're doing a book or even a magazine article, any of the stuff, the waiting game, you, you gotta be patient. Cause there's, that's all you do is you spend, you got to keep busy. All you do is, Oh my work. gosh. I mean, that's what, when people, you know, because we, even with magazine articles, you know, with us, we require the information three to four months ahead of when we start working on it, because to get everything in and everybody together and get it all there, when we need it, people get really tired of waiting. It's hard. It's really, yeah. really hard. And you have to be careful about talking about it too soon because then you just annoy people, you know, <laughs> that you exhaust them by the time the thing actually comes out. They're like, I'm so tired of hearing about this. That I couldn't even get. So, um, so I was a little bit depressed. I mean, part of me was like, I kind of dodged a bullet because I didn't know if I had the energy to take on the, the amount of ambitious work we had come up with, right. The, the products line. So I was like, gosh, maybe, maybe I just wasn't prepared to take on that kind of uh, product line. It was so big. Um, and that was fine, but I was kind of like, I, but gosh, I really had my heart set on product. And I thought, well, I'm gonna, I got to figure out how to make, get some product out there. I'm just going to make it happen. Right. So I thought, well, what is one product? If it, uh, this is the way my thinking was, I remember laying on the couch thinking this, if I could have one product, what is the one I'm using the most or enjoying the most or would love to see and be able to design. And at the time I was really doing a lot of mixed media and um, assemblage art and that sort of thing. And I thought I'm using the heck out of stencils. I'm loving using stencils for whether it's texture paste or paint or, you know, anything. And uh, I'm like, that's it. I'm going to design stencils. So I started researching and I mean, it didn't take long. And I found a company out of New Jersey. Um, so it's all made in the US and it's, um, it's sort of like print on demand, but it's stencil cutting on demand. And um, I mean, they sell wholesale. And so there are some companies that picked it up as, as wholesale, some of my products, but uh, also anybody could just order it and then they will cut it and they will send it um, with nice mm -hmm. packaging with my picture and all that stuff. So um, I think I have about, maybe 48 designs with them. Oh, wow. A lot of them are typography, kind of vintage box and barrel style. And a lot of them are decorative. And so I got that out of my system and I was very happy with, with that. And um, uh, one day I was kind of going through my computer and I came up on all those files I had done with um, Spellbinders and thought, this can't just sit here, you know? <laughs> so, so then my wheels started turning. I'm like, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to design fabric? Right. Mm -hmm. So that I'm thinking, well, I don't know a lot about fabric. I like to sew small projects. I'm not really a quilter, um, but I love to sew, but I mean, what designer wouldn't want to see their, their stuff on fabric. So I'm thinking, well, who's the best, you know, I got to go to the best first <laughs> and I'll work my way down. Right? <laughs> of course. So I know that just from visiting, um, you know, independent, um, fabric stores that Moda fabrics always had the best stuff, the best graphics, the best feel, everything about them. They were just cool school. And I'm like, I'm finding out who's in charge, you know, at Moda. <laughs> so, um, 
here's a little nugget that I think has served me really well. You know how, if you're on LinkedIn and once a year, they send you that, um, free premium for 30 days or something, you can have 30 days, get it because when you get that, and then be sure you put on your calendar when to get out. But, um, when you get that, you have a lot more access and you can send more emails to more people and stuff. And so the way I will figure out who I'm going to contact is I find the company, I dig around, um, on the, you know, where you can look at the personnel and I just do everything I can to try to find, you know, and if I don't have word of mouth who to contact, this is the best way I can, I can figure it out. Um, and I found the gal that was, in charge of all things Moda. And um, I sent her a proposal. So I put this proposal together, you know, I redesigned, took all my graphics and stuff and created some fabric stuff and just all visual and and digital um, and sent it to her with a nice big cover letter. Oh man, I hope she answers. Oh, and the next day I'm looking at it and I see a typo in the, um, of course, you know, I wanted to get back to me that day. Yeah. Like either I'm a loser or I'm a winner. I don't know what it's going to be. So, um, I see this typo the next day, just in the cover letter. And, um, I couldn't, it just didn't sit well with me. So I I sent another email and I said, so there was a typo, you know, I don't know what I said. There's a typo apologies, please. She responded to that email. Oh, so, um, it was humble. I mean, it was legit. You know how you'll get those funny emails like, oh, we accidentally put the price wrong. You know, it's a total scam, but this was legit. I really was embarrassed about the typo and, um, but it did get her attention. And, um, you know, long story short, Moda's been just the best company ever to work with. Um, our, my first collection is still my favorite collection and I'm on maybe I'm starting to design, I think collection nine. Oh my gosh. So congratulations. Eight, eight or nine. Um, yeah. Um, I, it's a dream. It's just what you would imagine just to be able to design and work with uh, really creative people there who um, will come back and say, what do you think of changing the colors to this? Or what if we added this? And um, I'm like, yeah, if you guys, that works really great. And we just had this really wonderful working relationship. So. Well, that- I remember Moda from the early days when I was producing paperback counted cross stitch books that were, <laughs> you know, $4.95, they were a distributor and used to buy thousands of my books. So I got to be good friends with them too. And I've always loved them. They've carried on their, their quality and their, you know, kindness and their professionalism for all these years. So I know exactly how you feel about them. I feel so lucky. I mean, I know I'm not lucky. I know I work for it, but, um, but they are a really, really good company. I mean, you, they're your friends. It's they just are. really nice. Yeah. Okay. So talk about everybody. Like you said, everybody wants to design their own line of fabrics. So you submit an idea on paper, then just walk us through the steps of what that, what happens through that process and about how long that takes, because <laughs> um, I know it takes a minute. So my my fabric design um, came with to them at a time when they were just getting into digital printing. So they saw the work that I did, which has is very heavy in vintage ephemera and graphics and typography and advertising and that sort of thing um, as a real uh, good start to using this very fine printed uh, ver- you know, multiple sky's the limit on the colors, it's digital. And the detail is spectacular. So you could get, you could, I could do maybe like a little trade card and you could see all the wording. Typically it had been, you know, you'd have just maybe eight colors to work with, um, motifs, uh, illustrations that would be repeated. Um, Mine's different. Whereas I lay everything out. I will get in Photoshop or Adobe Illustrator and I will lay out uh, an entire 40 to 44 inch uh, width file. And I will send it either a section of that if it's a re- if it's repeated across that length or in some of the designs that I do, th- the entire design will go that far because it's sort of a collage of different things. Um, so everything I do, I send to them digitally. But before I get to that point, I have to actually present what my idea is so they can say, whether I should bother going that far or not. 
So I'll just put together just a, gosh, a PDF or something. And I'll, there's nothing fancy about it. You just, I would just like overlap a few different graphics and say, okay, this is what I see is this fabric and that fabric and that fabric. And then maybe I'll show it in a few different color ways. Um, at this point, it, sometimes it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just that simple. Um, it, I know there are some artists I think they work with who maybe let's say they're more painterly or they do more um, illustration. I know that they are able to, some of them are able to actually just send the bits and pieces. And there are designers at Motos at who will put that into a pattern or into a repeat. So it kind of depends on what type of an artist or designer you are, who you're working with. I'm not really sure how everybody works. This is just how I work. Um, so we have this, it's all digital. I do all my graphic design on the computer. Nothing's on paper. And I just uh, send it. Where do they print now? Where does Moda print? My fabric is printed in Korea. As far as I know, that's where it's, it's being printed right now. But uh, from the time, oh, well, here's an example. Right now I'm, I'm coming up with, I'm doing my, you know, digital sketches of a concept that I'm going to, I've already told them the idea and they, they like it. Now I have to actually show them what I'm, you know, what I'm talking about. And then I'll go in and do the finer work. Um, so from today, uh, probably within two or three weeks, they will have enough to say, okay, go, you know, like we like it, go or change this or change that. And then I'll have a deadline, maybe another month to produce that and get it to them. Um, I, I'm not really sure on the deadlines. I, you know, they're flexible. Uh, they know when they're going to put it in the bucket or when, when it's going to show and stuff. So um, they're really great about working with you, but I'll have a deadline for when my uh, final artist committed to them. And then from there, oof, I mean, this is roughly three or four months. Maybe I'm I'll see strike offs. I'll see some strike offs. And that's just um, very small sample sent to me uh, just to say, yeah, I see a blemish or that's just too dull. Could you punch up the color here? That kind of stuff. And then um, it'll go back and then many months, um, another three or four months, I think I'm, I might be kind of making this up, but this is just how my mind works, you know, because it takes for fabric takes forever. So then I'll see um, my bolts, my sample bolts, because the way Moda works, they, they don't sit on inventory. They will order just enough bolts and, and fabric to um, set up the sales reps with their fabric swatches and have enough to send the, the designer to start working on projects or, you know, their in-house designers to start working on projects with the fabric and enough bolts for, um, if I need, if I say, Hey, I know an, a sewist, I want to work on a project with my fabric. Can you send them three yards of this, a yard of that? Right. So it'll be just a sample run. Once the sales reps go out to the stores, the stores, um, have to a certain date to place their order. And then, then it's done. It's cut off. And then those orders are sent. And then the, the mass of the fabric is printed. Oh, interesting. So it's not as though they just print a bunch of fabric and hope it sells. They only print what they sell. So the stores know that working with Moto all these years, that once the sales reps come, it's still going to be many months. So um, I noticed that pre-cuts, pre-cuts are when you get like charm packs or jelly rolls oh, or, right. you know, the, it's not the big bolts. Charm, uh, the pre-cuts tend to hit the stores a little bit sooner than the bolts. And I just noticed today, one of the stores was showing, um, I have a collection called Leather and Lace and Amazing Grace, and they just got received their pre-cuts on that. And that started, I started having a conversation about that collection well over a year ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that one, I had gone through cancer treatment last, finished it last year. And as I was finishing it, I was having a conversation and we were talking about their stitch pink program, which is in October um, around breast cancer awareness. And they were very sensitive and asking what I'd be interested in um, adding one print to a collection that I had already started designing or actually create a collection around the stitch pink program. I'm like, well, I'm doing a whole collection. What are you kidding me? If you're giving me that option, I'll do a whole collection. I'm an expert, so, right? Yeah. So that was how Leather and Lace and Amazing Grace was born. Um, Leather and Lace 
you know, with uh, the leather being tough, the lace being, you know, vulnerable and delicate and amazing grace, just what it says. So, um, you know, getting through the, the rough stuff with, through faith. And, uh, so what is this? What are we in? Uh, it's about a year. I'm just going to say a year from the time you conceptualize to the time it's in a store. It's a long time, nine months to a year. That sounds about right. And do you still, I mean, I've been in the publishing business. This is my 44th year. So I've had product on the shelves for 44 years. And I still, every time I go into Barnes and Noble or Whole Foods or wherever we go and I see magazines on the shelf, I still get the same feeling that I got when I saw my first one 44 years ago. It's a thrill I have never tired of. Is it the same for you when you see your fabrics and everything? It, you know, it is. I'll get on Instagram again, for example, and I'll see somebody talking about it. And I kind of get the impression, you know, they'll be sharing something they did with my fabric and I'll get the impression they'd never imagined I would actually find that. And I, I think I'm just blown away that they liked my fabric enough to buy it a, and then make something with it B and then share it. C. like, I, I can't believe like that's my stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. I it's can't. surreal. I, it's hard to really believe. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever really, um, it'll ever sink in that it's really happening that people like the stuff I do. Okay. So here's a question that because I've experienced this and I've had several guests on the podcast that have experienced the same thing. So you have this fan base out there in the world who knows who you are, buys your fabric, makes things about it, posts about it. And as creatives, most a lot of us, um, our world our world of people is broad. They live all over the world. I mean, it's nice with Instagram and stuff we can communicate now, but like a lot of people say at home, nobody knows what I do. You know, that my neighbors and my high school friends and my children are still trying to figure out what it is I do all day long, even though, I mean, I started sending my kids the magazines because I said, don't you guys go buy my magazines? And they're like, well, it's not really our subject. I said, I'm your mother, right? Oh my gosh, Joe, you hit a nerve because I just had this talk with my sister yesterday. We were on the phone and I said, you know, we'll be in a group of people and everybody will be like, Hey, work, talking, shop, all this stuff. But Oh, Kathy, you still doing that crafty stuff? (laughs) Right. And um, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, or we just went on this. So I I, just to kind of uh, skip back to where, or go back to where we were talking, like spellbinders, we are actually working together today. Um, It came back around and uh, Jeff and I, uh, I wanted to go out there and meet with them. We were going to do some videos and stuff. So we took our fifth wheel and we headed out to Arizona recently. And uh, so it was a great experience, everything. We came back. So the topic keeps coming up around friends. Oh, um, yeah, we, well, we went to Arizona for Kathy's work and then blah, 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 blah. You know, we talked about all the other things and nobody ever asked about, oh, what is her work? Oh, what does she do? Like, they, oh, she still does that crafty stuff. <laughs> like they don't, it's not, it's not serious work. It's not. And so then I started, like, I was having this little sob session with my sister. You're like, what's my purpose in all this crafting? You know, is this real? Like, is this important? And um, she picked me up. I was just having a moment, but uh, people don't get it. They don't get it. You what's have to deal. Why- like when I said I was a graphic designer doing logos and wine labels. Oh, people got that. But because I work in the craft industry or the quilt industry, nobody even asks questions. Never. Yeah. I mean, when I first started 44 years ago, so we were doing uh, books on counted cross stitch and we were selling millions of titles. I mean, we were a force to be reckoned with. Right. And I would go to these parties like you and, and I would, they'd say, well, what are you doing now? And I'd tell them the basics, right. Mm-hmm. Cause you don't want to brag. Right. right. And, and uh, they would say, you know what? I think my grandmother used to crochet. I think I remember her doing that. And I'm like, but I don't crochet, I do cross stitch. And they just would glaze over. I yeah. mean, that was the yeah. end of the conversation, right? Or they'll just say, oh, you know what you should do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you should, oh, you should make, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm making what I want to make. I'm good to go. You know, like I, you, you can ask more questions. I can tell you really what it is that I do, but they just don't understand it. Like I remember saying something to, it was a man and he, oh, what do you do at fabric design? And he goes, oh, I never thought there was actually people that actually <laughs> like, you know, it's just not their, it's not the industry they know anything about or really care about, I suppose. So, you know, what else is amazing to me? Like I, I, I live alone. I've been single for almost all my adult life. And I have two grown children who are very busy and very successful. And during COVID, I actually thought I was going to lose my mind because they're, you know, we were all sequestered and I live in this kind of little apartment and I I had I was having a conversation with Jenna Ugoni who makes the most beautiful lampshades in the whole world and she called me up and because we were going to feature her and she was just taking a nosedive and I said what's the matter and she said I've been with the same store making the same beautiful lamps being in all these galleries for like 30 years and I made masks for the pandemic and my neighbors finally came to me and told me I was really talented. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh my God. Right? right? <laughs> I mean, that's why this community, it's so passionate mm-hmm. and so. We all love each so other important. so much, I think. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it's nice with too. all of this that we can connect with each other. Like I have one of my dearest friends is in France for two months and she calls me every day. You know, I went and bought this and I did this and we do Zoom. So it's kind of like being there, you know, so people yeah. understand, but it's nice to know that we're all in the same boat, right? Yeah, I guess. And I think it, yeah, it just depends on people's interests. If, if it had to do with a car, everybody has a car, people get cars. You know, if it has to do with whatever, my, you know, I'm my family, they're all first respond. Well, my husband's a retired firefighter. He's semi-retired because he still fights wildland fires. My son and daughter firefighters, she's going to medic school. Right. So it's just not in there, you know, and then my other daughter's going to getting, you know, working on getting into medical school and it's just not their thing. And yeah. I don't think they know what I do. I don't, they don't really ask the questions and stuff. And I don't think it's because they don't care. I think it's an age thing and they're very focused on what they're doing. And I'm just mom, you know, <laughs> as, long as, as long as mom's busy and happy, you know, are you, are you just the mom who has a lot of stuff? My children think I have a lot of stuff. Yeah. They lucky for, you know, luckily my house isn't my barn. My house is very, way more minimal. It's a little bit more like a I don't know, rustic mid-century. I don't even know how to describe it, but sparse. I get everything I need out of the barn. But as they grew up, I didn't have this barn. So the house was a lot more collectible, you know, uh-huh. collections and, and my stuff. Um, but now that I have the two separate places, uh, they can appreciate that this is just my space and how I, you know, my creative thing, they get that, you know, cause they, they're going to need their jeans hemmed. And I mean, they still come to me for all the little fixes. Can you, how do you replace this? Can you put more holes in the belt? Like, so I'm there for all of those things because oh, that's I have nice. a big studio. I can still do those, those little projects for them, which I love when they come to me for that stuff. But, um, I don't think they really have a good idea of what I do. That's okay. Oh, it doesn't yeah. bother me. Yeah. Sarah came up to me when um, I had a building downtown and um, we were cleaning it out um, because I lost it during COVID and she came up to me and she said mom um, Justin my my son and I have been talking and we would like you to start cleaning out and giving away all your stuff now because if you don't start now then when you die in 20 years we're going to have to do it and we don't want to and i'm like oh my hell you guys aren't going to give my stuff away right you're going to keep it and they had the most horrified look on their face like oh no no we're not going to keep it yeah. right they don't yeah. want it no Nobody they wants don't it. no and uh that's hard for a lot of people. I, I, I read that somewhere. I think there's even a book published about it. You know, your kids don't want your stuff. Right. right. And, 
you know, your China, like, why, why don't they want my great, great, their great grandmother's China? Why would they want it? Right. That's what she um, said. I didn't even know her. Better, right? I mean, I have to find small bits that I think might matter to them in the long run when they have kids and these, they start thinking about this kind of stuff. But um, sometimes it's a burden. I know that things that was, that were left to me that I don't want, but I can't possibly part with you know, that's a burden and you have to think, well, it is just stuff and they're not here and wherever they are, they're probably looking down going, sorry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I, I, now I realize it doesn't matter. It's just stuff, you know, but, um, you know, keep one thing or keep a picture of the thing that, that maybe right. that's just enough. Yeah. It's just to, if that brings them back to, to mind, but um, I do have all mine labeled with whether they're expensive or not, mm-hmm. because I do have some really beautiful pieces, some really valuable antique pieces that I've collected over the years. And I keep saying to Sarah, they're marked on how expensive they were. And that was 20 years ago. I said, please don't take them to Salvation Army. And she looked me straight in the eye and said, mom, if you think you should get that much money for them, you better do it now. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. They don't want the project. And I, I always tell my husband, I said, just set, pay someone, set them up in this chair to just estate sale, the whole thing. Like there's, and I, one of the things happened, you know, we live in Northern California where um, we've just been threatened with some of the worst fires in history. And um, of course my husband's always gone during this while I'm packing up for, you know, how many bins can I fit in the suburban to run for our lives if we have to. And what you do, you know, you, you end up walking around your property, taking video of everything. And you, there's, there was, there was one fire in particular that I, you know, twice I've been loaded up to drive away from my house in, uh, in case it came too close. Um, but when I was taking video, like of the barn and I was really thinking of, you know, of saying goodbye to all these things. Like if, if I had to say goodbye to all these things, like, is there anything in here that is like so precious? I just should take out of here and take with me. And it was just a couple little things that maybe my father had made, Um, And that was it. And then I stood back and I go, guy, you know, this might work out. (laughs) It's sometimes (laughs) overwhelming, right? To have so much stuff. And I, I, it was a shameful thought, but I'm like, you know, (laughs) nothing in here. So, so I know there's nothing in this barn of mine that is so precious that if my husband turned it over to, you know, to a truck backed in and took it all away that um, any big loss, but you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. I don't have anything from my grandmother in here or, you know, whatever. So, so let's talk about for a minute, the, the contentment and the peace that even though we may not want to save it forever, that it brings us right now. I know you've had a battle with cancer and, um, I went through a couple of hard times, uh, health wise myself. And I found that my stuff gave me a great deal of peace and I could do little things with my hands and stuff. Did you have the same experience? I was so blessed to be working with, um, like I mentioned, um, I ended up working with Spellinders again, where we just released, um, it's just like this week and next week coming out, um, a whole new program of paper crafts. Um, them and Moda um, gave me enough work to do that kept my mind very busy and my hands very busy, um, you know, because a lot of it is digital work. And if not for that and having a some sort of a purpose while I was going through this, um, the depression would have completely taken over. I was very sick. Um, you know, it, when you go through cancer treatment, everybody's cancers are so different. So no two experiences are ever going to be alike. And um, when I was at my very lowest, I remember laying on the couch going, I'm not even sure I can get up and make it to the bathroom. You know, you're just so sick. Um, it, it, we found out within a couple of days, I had a massive, um, blood clot in my jugular vein that had probably started where my port was put in. Once I went on the blood thinners, I mean, the next day it was a miracle. I was, I was like, what cancer? I mean, I just couldn't believe how much better I felt, but except for that really low, low moment, I mean, just getting through the day, having something creative to do to keep my mind busy like watching tv you can only do that for so long and it makes you dizzy and but having um creative work was everything it 
I've always thought it saved me from so many things in my life. I mean, um, you know, I am no stranger to tragedy. Like, you know, we lost our first daughter. She was stillborn. And then I've lost three siblings tragically, suddenly um, as adults and all in a, you know, within 10 years. So when I look at these really awful things in the timeline of my life, and I look at my creative um, successes or, you know, high points, they, they're always in that area and always immediately after. And it, it just feels like it's sort of God's way of keeping me going is giving me something to do um, with my creativity that gets me to the next whatever. I yeah. think that's so true. I think being creative is such a gift because during um, COVID, when like I have a group of friends here at home that are very, the wives of very, very wealthy businessmen and they travel a lot. They do all, you know, they do all those kinds of things. And during COVID, when everybody was sequestered and we would talk, it was all they could say was how bored they were. They didn't have anything to do. They weren't taking any trips. Their kids couldn't come over. They were so bored. They just didn't know what to do. And then I would talk to my creative friends and it was as I finally have time to do the things that I've wanted to do. And I can't, there's so many, I can't decide which to do first. Right. And it's <clears throat> such a difference between the two cultures. And yeah, I yeah. thought to myself over and over and over again, I am truly blessed because I live in a creative world with creatives and there's never, it's always there to get you through whether it's sickness or loneliness or whatever it is, it is really a gift for us. Yeah. I'm a bona fide introvert. And so this whole pandemic like totally worked out for me. <laughs> I not having, you know, not having to go out. And plus, you know, again, I was, you know, had no immune system from, from the treatment. So like I was totally alone a lot, except for my husband, even, you know, I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything. And um, aside from being sick, when I when I was feeling well, I was thriving. Be and I hate to say, because I know being an introvert sounds like such a negative thing, but I'm over it being negative. It's just who I am. Um, I, I love a good party. I love a, a good social event. I just don't always look forward to them, but I love it once I'm there. Right. I love teaching workshops and when all the women are here and we're all doing really creative things, but I have a trouble getting to that point. Um, it's just who I am. So, but yeah, um, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have something to do with my hands. Um, they don't do anything. I mean, yeah. they really don't do anything. They read, you know, until they can't read anymore and they watch TV till they've watched it all. And, and, and at the end of the day, there's really nothing to show for it. You know, they didn't like their books, you know, they're tired of the TV programs. And I looked at the world of, creativity that my friends and what they were creating during these really hard times and I thought oh my gosh it's some of your best work actually no distractions yeah and I think um as far as you know manufacturing I don't think the fabric industry's ever seen a better time you know right. I mean not just because of the masks but you know all the creative work that's been happening because people they turn to that it's just a blessing that we could buy it all online so you didn't have to go into the stores, right? You could yeah. buy all your fabrics and all of your stuff yeah. online. And so- um, Interesting, because when I started with Moda, they um, it was just before the pandemic and um, we were gearing up for the fall, fest, the fall quilt show in Texas. And I was so excited because the, for the first one, they were going to send me out. It was going to be, you know, kind of an all expense paid thing for your first one, right? Then you kind of have right. to do, but- I was so excited and I've been with them for, you know, several years now. And I've still get to see, a I've never been to a show because then the pandemic hit. So we didn't have the quilt show. So I've never even met these people face to face, but oh, you're kidding. No, no one. Oh and my gosh. It's only ever just been on zoom, you know, or on the phone. Are you yeah. going to come to salt Lake to the quilt show? Uh, no, probably not. Oh, when cause that's, that? that's my backyard. It's in July. Oh, it's no, like July. Um, I'm not sure July 12th or something like that. It's four days in Salt Lake. They're having, you know how they have the regional quilt shows outside okay. of Texas. 
Well, so, again, I, you know, I'm, you're much more immersed in the quilt industry than I am. And I, sometimes I feel like a, a little bit of a fraud that I don't know more about quilting because I designed the fabric for it. I mean, I get quilting and I get um, design concept and all of that stuff and, you know, scale and prints, but um, I don't really always know about all the shows and the whole, you know, community around it. Um, so I should look that up. Um, <laughs> well, if I think I to come to Salt Lake, you have a friend here. Oh, thank so. you. Good to know. Of course. Well, Kathy, this is the part of the show that I hate the very most, and it's when it's coming to an end. I hope it's okay if I tell everybody that you'll be back, that we'll yes, do yes. something else. Thank you for talk- the invitation. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And we'll talk about your studio and some other very exciting things you have going. And at the end of the show, I always ask um, my guests, two questions. And one is, do you have a secret that you will share with us that maybe not very many people know about you? Um, I have a secret. Well, it's not really a secret. The thing that comes to mind, it, it may just be unknown to most people who have started maybe following me in the last couple of years. But if you followed me for a long time, you may already know. Um, I am actually a kidney donor. So I donated my kidney to a stranger. I don't know who he is. I know it's a man. And I know that it went from, I was at UCSF in San Francisco and it went all the way to Georgetown University, all the way across the country overnight. Um, My daughter, Jamie, is also um, a living donor. She donated to a stranger down in, uh, I think hers went to San Diego. So if anyone ever wants to um, have a conversation about uh, donation if they're ever in a position that they um, have concerns and want to help a loved one or something and um, I'm happy to be available for any kind of talks around that Um, I don't I don't promote being a living donor I mean this is something I wanted to do personally that started with someone's Instagram post and it just kept going in my mind and I decided that's what I wanted to do so um, again I'm not going to promote that people go out and just do this like I did this is what I wanted to do but there's a lot of kidney disease out there in the world. And there's a lot of family members being tapped on the shoulder and being asked um, if they would consider donation. So if anybody's in a position and wants to have a conversation, I'm always available. You can just message me through Instagram. Oh my gosh, you go girl. You are, <laughs> you have a big heart in very, in every aspect of your very life. Okay. The second thing I ask is that I believe that we all as creatives love quotes and greeting cards and things that say really a lot in a few words. So I always ask everybody what their favorite quote is. Well, I don't have a favorite. And I did share um, in, in the feature that in the magazine that's coming out with you, um, I shared a couple, I, I have some that I really like and they come to me at different times. So I don't know that I have one, but one I would share today is this is by um, a Roman philosopher, Seneca. And it's luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So I would just encourage, if you know you wanna do something, don't wait to be asked or tapped on the shoulder, know it, create it, and then go find someone to make it happen for you. Um, That you just have to think that way. And luckily today you can think that way. Everybody's so independent about, how things go. I mean, you don't have to follow the rules. I mean, you have to be polite. I think that's, important. <laughs> but yes. you don't have to necessarily, you know, make an appointment to show your portfolio. No, get it, get on it, LinkedIn, find out who's the best of what in that thing you want to do and track them down and send an email and send it to their assistant and whatever it takes. It's on you. Oh, Kathy, you are a rock star. I and <laughs> who's no, you are. It's The only disappointment that I have during our podcast from the kitchen table is when our time is over for today. It is such an honor for me to be able to create a moment for each of us to be together to share our stories. I can promise you, and you can trust me, no matter how easy these guests make the journey appear, it wasn't. They each started by taking the first step, together and alone, frightened and inspired, ready or not, each one moving ever forward simply doing what they love to do, and that is create. 
Because we are a community which is based on our support of one another, please remember to leave a review. Leave a review, not only for these magazines, but for each other. It is a small investment of your time and yet an enormous gift to each of our guests that are working so very hard to be the best they can be in their chosen field. If you have any questions or want to know more, please visit womencreate.com. As you know, I am a lover of quotes and to end this chapter of From My Kitchen Table, I want to share my favorite quote with you. And that is, I love each of you and all of you with a thousand hearts. Until our next From My Kitchen Table, stay safe, keep notes, and take lots of pictures. It's been such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much, Joe. We will see you again. Okay, soon. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks, Joe.